Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, a listener question episode. I accumulate these in no particular order. I just stack them up and I feel like I can get seven in my episode length. Thank you, listeners, for sending in. Keep them coming. It's Dr. James Beckett at gmail.com, all spelled out. First, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So first question from Gordon, two-parter actually. One was, he mentions that he loves the podcast. That's always a good way to get my attention, but he says he's listened to each podcast multiple times. I think, okay, I don't usually hear that. But what he's trying to do, he's trying to milk it for the tidbits. And his first part of his question is, he says, listen to the episodes with Rich and I talking about when we're going through the dollar boxes, what are we looking for, the little nuances, the variations. And he just wants to know, is there any substitute for the years of knowledge for him if he wants to do that? And basically, I think months of knowledge might be a substitute for years of knowledge. Rich and I did the almanacs and all the price guides, and we were full-time in that for so many years. And Rich still does a lot of cataloging for ComC. I hate to say it, Gordon, I'm not sure there are shortcuts. If you were to pick a lane or to focus on something, then you could get up to speed. Again, reviewing the almanac, just being out there, there's a lot of good content out there. And when Rich and I do 15 minutes at a time, we'll tackle a set or a player or something. But again, the dollar boxes. It can be so broad. I wish I could give you more hope. I can't tell you to memorize the almanac for the sport that you're interested. And frankly, your second part of your question is about Deion Sanders. That's your guy. You're really looking for Deion Sanders, and you look anywhere you can get him. I like that you said that you have parameters for going after the affordable Deion cards. It looks like you don't go for numbered cards under numbered out of 25. But you like older rainbows, unique 90s varieties and variations. And I love that. I do that too with some of the players I have. I'm just not going to pay huge bucks for a one of one or a one of 10. If I stumble onto it at a great deal, I might, but you're not usually going to find those things in the dollar box. So I don't make private deals with, even though you're very kind to letter, Gordon, I, I'm not going to sell you my Deion Sanders collection. I actually do have a very good Deion Sanders collection because he's local. I've met him. He's really a character. I will be selling some of the duplicates on eBay eventually. I am choosing, which I think you have done as well, to lump in my baseball and football. It's mostly football, but I'm just going to throw the baseball Dion's in there and 100 assorted Dion Sanders. And whether you buy them from me or somebody else, sounds like you're eager to get not just ones you don't have, but more that you do. I'm going to do the same thing with Bo Jackson. I think there's a good following there, too. He's got a lot of baseball and he's got a lot of football, too. I'll be doing that. Anyway, thanks, Gordon. But I can't make a special deal with you at this point because then I perceive I would have to with everybody. Next question from Skeppy. Been on several times. Very thoughtful guy. He talks about augmented reality. What that is when you take a picture of a picture or you shoot it with your phone or device or something and the picture comes alive. And I like that idea. He, he forwarded on a video, a YouTube that explained, I've seen that before. I've actually had those in present presentations. It's very common in real estate, but there's big bucks in real estate. If you buy the property, then they need every help they can to get you to see the dimensions and see favorably the property. Skeppy, you're talking about doing that for one-of-one one cards. And my sports card insight on this, I'm here to tell you, I don't think one-of-ones are profitable. They can be profit drivers for products, but one-of-ones are expensive to make. 
And uh, so if your idea, the augmented reality, I don't think it would be done as a one of one. It's the reason why NFTs, they're not one of ones usually. The big bucks are once you go to the trouble of providing this moment, this video aspect to do to number 23 of them, if they're Michael Jordans or something like that, that's where the profit is, not in the one of one. Third question from Mark, an attorney from Houston. And I've told you my second career was being an expert witness, worked with attorneys all over the country. And there's a big difference between a, a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney, plaintiff attorney and a defense attorney. Mark, you're coming at me as a defense attorney, not as a prosecuting attorney. So you had some helpful suggestions. And again, started out, he says he enjoys the podcast and he's listening. And he said he probably heard 85% of them. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm a numbers guy. What's wrong with the other 15%? <laughs> so maybe they're just the oldest ones or ones that are the recaps or something like that. But anyway, I'm just curious if he's listened to almost all of them. Why not all? I'm a completist, but I'm trying to get over that. First of all, first question, the third question here is he'd like to see Rich and I deal with some more sets. And he mentioned a couple. Of them. But the one I'll bring up now is the Topps Tiffany's where they made factory set parallels, slick, nice looking cards. He's collecting the 1987 set in PSA 9 or better. Frankly, it's hard to believe they're not all at least PSA 9s. I guess they can be off-centered, but he says he's cracked six or seven sealed sets to find PSA 9s. So maybe they're worse centering than I thought because they've never been in a pack. They're straight out of the box. Anyway, I will mention that to Rich and we can maybe uh, tackle that. I do know that the earlier years are much tougher than the later years on the top Tiffany's. They did, in many cases, disclose how many they made. And a lot of them are still sitting in garages or attics or closets. Number four, another one from Mark. He said, the psychology of collecting, you'd like to see more on that. I have had a couple of psychologists, pretty sharp psychologists, uh, therapists, counselors who have been on and talking about some of these things. But he's just trying to figure out, is it nature or nurture? How do you get to be a collector? Is it a gene? What are the aspects that make somebody a lifelong collector? Mark, whatever it is, I've got it. It sounds like you're in the process of getting it. I think it's probably more nurture. I think you can have a personality type, but if you have positive interactions in the hobby, then it's something you're going to want to keep doing. If you have very negative experiences, like I said, those formative experiences for me in my early years of collecting, I got fleeced a couple times. I got my cards thrown out one time and that didn't drive me to quit it drive me to change my behavior to not let those bad things happen to me again so same to you five uh, again for mark was about grading he wants to hear more about the evolution of grading even probably before there was grading when did that happen that there was an emphasis on condition and frankly mark it was always there nobody wants to go find poor cards although i guess in, in the 70s when i was collecting. There were people who would buy poor condition cards. They'd expect to pay less, but a lot of it, they were just excellent. Very good, excellent, near mint, but ex-mint. They just, it needed to be a nice looking card. And there were a few people, a very small percentage of the people who were not always well liked because they would be very finicky about the cards. And they're smiling now, but when they came up to a table and they were only looking for the best condition cards. People did not charge them a lot more. They maybe just didn't give them a discount. But again, they're, <laughs> the last laugh is those guys that really cared about the condition did great. I wasn't. I just wanted nice cards. Wasn't that concerned about whether it was perfect or not. Question six is from, from Kevin. Mentioned that he's been a customer for a long time. His favorite player is George Brett. I think I've already done some George Brett episodes. I probably will do at least one more, Kevin. So that's good. He says that basically he's got, or he said at his peak, he had 6,000 George Brett cards. 
I guess he's putting them in binders because he said I had a full page of most of his regular issues and almost every specialty card, etc., etc. I don't know about that. If you get a binder and you have a full page of a 1980 Tops George Brett card or 79, I suppose that's how you could do it. But I love the variety. Again, I do have a bunch of extra George Brett cards, but it just seems once you show one, you'd show them all. But it does beg the question of how do you display a very large collection of the player you collect. He mentions the George Brett cover on the Beckett Baseball Monthly. He said it's a great photo. Question, what happened to the original photos for your price guides? If they're the cards, a lot of the cards in the price guides were my cards from back in the day. The photos are owned by the photographer. We had the rights to put it on. Brad Newton was our primary photographer in the early days, was the Rangers' official photographer, always went to spring training, and a close friend. Pepper Hastings handled, when we branched out to get to more national photographers, Pepper handled that, and we had even more access to more photos. And actually, the worst photographer we ever had is me. (laughs) There's actually two covers, and I don't think it was George Brett, cover photos that I took at spring training, Back in the mid-80s, I'm guessing 85 or so, and I do not know where those negatives are. I'd love to find a Type 1 photo indeed of my own. Not sure, Kevin, but George Brett, he will be getting some additional treatment in the future. Okay, this was a comment or question from Victor, the rookie card specialist, commenting on the very recent episode of the job and career prospects that Brad Bethune, Texas card dude, and Rich Klein. We discussed that, and he mentions that his sense is, Victor says, I've heard the card industry for most positions. The card companies desire people with no sports card experience or affiliation. Do you find this to be true, or is this the assumption of an overly dramatic hobby? Victor, very thoughtful guy. Victor, I've heard that I think it depends on the company. Ideally, you want to have a blend. If everybody is a serious collector, you're going to need the perspective. If somebody says, hey, wait, that's more of a casual collector or even a non-collector. I think when we were hiring, we were heavy on hobby experience, and especially some of our best people had experience working in a local card shop. That was so ideal. You didn't have to explain to them. They really knew they could hit the ground running. I think that's still great, but now there's not as many people that have that experience. I think most of these, and again, you have some of these tech companies that you really need somebody with the tech experience. The hobby experience is a plus, but it may not be required if you're that good at what you do in marketing or sales or technology. But I think that these companies now, they want to pick from a larger pool. I'm hard-pressed to think any of the companies, Victor, if they had two people with equal ability and otherwise experience and went to the same college, same work experience, but one of them had worked in a card shop when they were in high school and the other one hadn't. I love that somebody that has a genuine sports card experience. That's what we looked for. It served us well. And on the other hand, we had some people that weren't collectors that came in and said, hey, why are you doing that? That doesn't make sense to me. And then you've got to be able to explain, this is the way the hobby works. And if you're not able to explain that's why the hobby works, then maybe it's not working as well as it could. So, Victor, I think more and more people are getting jobs in the industry. And whereas five or 10 years ago, it seemed like it was inbred, it does not seem to be that way now. And I think that's a good thing. So I'm hoping for a blend. I don't know if you're looking for a job. Victor, I probably would hire you if I were hiring. Actually, I would hire you, Victor, but I'm not hiring anymore. My payroll is zero, and uh, but I'll be happy to recommend you if you're looking for a job and anybody else that I know to be a quality hobbyist. 
So thanks, everybody. That's the seven listener questions. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for having a great listening group out there that, that wants to understand the hobby better. So hobby the way you want to, but enjoy it whatever way that is. I certainly am, and I will be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man-